before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discuss should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. And now, on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to a long overdue episode of The Narrative Game. And joining me and bringing all his knowledge on the subject in question is my dear friend, the wonderful, the one and only Dr. Ben Hunt. Ben, how are you, my friend? Doing great, Grant. Right back at you. Good to see you. And you're right, long overdue. Long overdue. Well, look, there's so, so much to talk about, as always. And, uh, you know, I sit back and watch with with just so much admiration the way you do what you do and the way you cover all the stuff that's happening. Oh, um, and you. every time I get a chance to sit down and, and talk with you about it, I grab it with both hands because I, I always come away from these conversations so much better informed and, you know, with so much to think about. Uh, and, and I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff as it is. And damn it, if you don't send me back to the drawing board every time we, oh. I kind of, I kind <laughs> well, of throw my rudimentary guesses about what's happening into the pot, and you slap them back at me, and I wander away with my tail between my legs. But so happy to have so much more to think about. Um, well, that's very generous of you, Grant, and um, it's and again, right back at you. Well, listen, the place I want to start this conversation with is a narrative that has been around for some time, and I followed it very closely for a decade now. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reasons, and I'm hoping you're going to help me understand those, it has mushroomed and grown and ballooned and appeared in every single place that I can imagine in recent weeks, and that is the de-dollarization narrative. We've been through the deglobalization yep. narrative, yep. but this de-dollarization narrative I find fascinating because you know I've watched it happen, and it's clear there is a move to de-dollarize. But what I've found really interesting recently is the dogmatism on both sides oh of this my God. narrative. And, right? and so I'm hoping, yeah, I'm 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 hoping to kind of work out with you and, and have you help me understand really what's happening and why now this particular story has not only grown legs but teeth is the way I kind of like mm-hmm. to think about it. So so perhaps you I, I can just hand the floor over to you and 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 kind of with a very open subject of de-dollarization and, and the narrative around it let you kind of lead me wherever you think I should be going? Well, I keep coming back to something that's really guided my thinking about not just international economics, but international relations, power, politics, money, all of that. Because, you know, that was my first field, right? Yeah. I um, you know, spent a lot of, lot of years in, in academia on this very specific thing. And... That guiding principle that I just think is so true is that politics trumps economics. No pun intended. <laughs> Although, you yeah, know, yeah, there are pun, times. The pun, wor- the pun works too, right? Politics <laughs> yes. trumps economics always, right? So power trumps money. Money is a form of power, but it's only a form of power, right? The, the, the concept of power, politics, is much more, much broader and more encompassing than than money. I believe that when you think about the de-dollarization story arc that continues to grow, as I'll Tucker Carlson is running that on his show. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Fareed Zakaria at CNN yep. did the same. I mean, I, I went to grad school with Fareed, right? I just I know the guy well. <laughs> and uh, um, anyway, uh, that's another story. So it's, you know, everywhere you look, and certainly you see it with, I'll call it the Bitcoin bros, right? The Balajis of the world who, yeah. and I know we'll talk about this as well. It's a two-pronged narrative. It's, oh my God, the dollar is no longer going to be the reserve currency. It's gone. It's out of here. And U.S. banks, hundreds are insolvent and your money's not safe. And right? it's, it's, they're two sides of that same coin, of the same narrative sure. coin. Now we're going to talk about both. I think when I say that politics trumps economics, and we've got to think about uh, international power relations here, what clearly occurred last year in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine was a 
decision by the United States to use the dollar as a strategic weapon, right? We're going to get the Russian banks off SWIFT. We're going to, you know, take other steps to, you know, freeze oligarchs' money, do all these things. But the 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 battle the tw- directly between the U.S. and Russia took place on that front, right? On that on that battleground. So, a hundred percent. The response, the totally rational response by Russia, their, I'll use the word axis, not as an axis of evil, but, right, right. you know, if the shoe, if yeah. the shoe fits, right? So the, they're, they're, you know, so we'll take, we'll take, we'll put Iran in that axis, right? Because the battle with Iran has also taken place in the realm of money. Uh, let's put China in there too, right? As a, as a strategic competitor for sure, and I'd argue adversary. To the United mm-hmm. States, not as clearly a strategic adversary as Russia and Iran, but let's call it for what it is: increasingly yeah. Yeah, I think a strategic fair. adversary and not just a competitor. Does it make sense that they will try to do global trade transactions in things other than the U.S. dollar? Of course, right? And you know, for Russian. Energy exports until you get this kind of weird ass scheme they've got going on with, you know, a, a, a price cap that's below. Yep. Anyway, that all of that makes so much sense in terms of great power competition and the new battlefield, which is around money. I see the narrative that has sprung up as an offshoot of that, and and it. You know, and I'm not talking about, oh, you know, Tucker must be a Russian stooge, <laughs> although, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we used to call them, I'll call it fellow travelers, right? And and it was it was in reference to people typically on the left, not on the right, but the, the, the notion of fellow travelers that for their own domestic political reasons would further aid a bet the the narrative, right? So the same thing happened in the 50s and 60s and 70s, but there it was not, like say, the the the, the narrative, oh my God, US imperialism, it's dead, the dollar is going away, it's the correlation of forces. That was the phrase that the Soviet Union used right. at the peak of their support for proxy wars in Africa and uh, Latin America and Asia, you know, wherever they could go, right? That was that was that was the phrase. It was exactly like today. The difference today is that the ability to, as they say in political consulting, astroturf these narratives is, you know, nuclear level technology yeah. <laughs> as yeah. opposed to Bronze Age technology in the 50s. So astroturf means fake grassroots. And, you know, it's a phrase that's been around forever in political campaigns because it's so effective. You pay for the man on the street or the woman on the street to, you know, support your candidate and to, you know, to to write about it on Facebook uh, or, and and it doesn't have to be paid as in terms of here's some money. It can be paid as let's, we're going to give you some attention, Mm -hmm. right? But, but, but But the effort is the same, fake grassroots support. I think that's exactly what's happening today. I think it's a combination of a very, you know strategic interest by you know Russia and China. I, again, I'm not saying they're paying people off or people are stooges, but I'm saying there is absolutely a strategic imperative, a very rational effort to try to publicize whatever de-dollarizing moves are made. Right. You know, the Malaysian prime minister says, oh, yeah, I guess we could do some things with the renminbi directly with China. And it gets trumpeted everywhere. Oh, my God, the dollar's collapsing. Right. The facts are and this is (laughs) this is through 2022. So including, you know, when we've got the the response of knocking essentially Russia out of the Swiss system and the dollar trade system. But in terms of trade. The dollar is as dominant today as it was 30 years ago. Has is the renminbi used for more transactions today, global trade transactions that does not include the dollar? Yes, yes, it is. But you know where that share is coming from on international trade? It's not coming from the dollar. The dollar is still 
one side of 90% of global foreign currency transactions. 90%. 90% of all the transactions that happen in the world have the dollar on one side of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that and that's been a consistent 90% for 30 years. The renminbi share is has has grown. I think it's like 3% or 4%, but that's come at the expense of the yen, the pound, the euro, the euro. Yeah. not the dollar, not the dollar. There's a separate argument we can and we can address that too in terms of central bank reserves, which has seen a decline in the dollar from you know 20, 30 years ago to today. Still, it's mostly dollar, but there's been a decline. That's overblown too, right? Because it's that there's so many more currencies that are part of central bank reserves that are denominated in dollars. That's one. Two is the entire, I'll call it state-owned enterprises, um, state-linked enterprises, the uh, purchase of U.S. dollar assets as I mean, what I'm calling kind of the shadow central banking, the shadow banking world. Right, right. It keeps the dollar right where it was before, right, as the reserve currency of the world. So the facts don't support this. And yes, you can point to, oh, gosh, Brazil and China may be, you know, doing, you know, currency directly and bypassing the dollar. All right, well, that's going to be a grand total of 30 basis points of global trade. I mean, I mean the, the, the U.S. share goes down from, you know, 90.1 to 89.8. And and that's that's just the reality. But you're exactly right, Grant. The, the fever pitch of the drum beating from the left, from the right, from the Bitcoin bros, from it's a group I, I like to call the, the Peter Thiel Industrial Complex, Right. So it's, you know, right. the, these billionaire, it's called accelerationism. You know, let's, we want to collapse the system so we can be, you know, the Duke of Auckland and the Count Palatine of a neo feudal lower California. It, right. I'm, I'm joking, but I'm really not. Right. No, I know. Um, those are three incredibly powerful forces, you know, the China apparatus, the Russia apparatus, great powers both the billionaire accelerationist teal adjacent group, another incredibly powerful group. All of them have, and I'll say political entrepreneurs and their parties domestically, mm -hmm. they all have an interest in destabilizing the United States. And I think that's exactly the effort that's being made. It's not a, a coordinated effort, but it's not a not coordinated effort. Uh, to destabilize the United States in narrative space, in narrative world. I think that's exactly what's happening. And I think we're going to see so much more of this in not just the years to come, but the days to come. This is, this is increasingly where the battle takes place. It takes place in narrative world. And the toolkit, both to create the storyline that resonates and to astroturf it, is, is just unprecedented today i think that's what's going on Grant. well let, let me let me ask you because i i, I so i've watched this very closely and, and i find it fascinating and i want to come on in a second to the one country that you didn't mention in that access that is very central to all of it in some way shape or form and that's saudi arabia and i, mm -hmm. I, I want to come on to them mm -hmm. in a second but as i watched this narrative spring up and, and I, I i saw the farid zakaria piece and I, and I posted that because i find it fascinating that if it's being talked about farid zakaria on cnn in prime time right Right? The, the level of conversation around this that's gone on before we've reached that point is is extraordinary. And then, of course, it shows up on Tucker. And, yep. and it's really snowballing and gathering effect. But away from the narrative and away from the effect that that narrative has on entrenching everybody's positions on either side of yet another great chasm in which some serious thought and discussion could take place if anybody wanted to kind of venture down the walls of it and meet in the middle at the bottom. This is the bit I find interesting because the the, the de-dollarization that everybody talks about is absolutely happening. And the pace may be glacial. And these stories that we read about may well be blown out of proportion. But there is a clear move here amongst mm -hmm. the countries we've mentioned to lessen their reliance on the dollar. And that, to me picked up some genuine speed and some genuine importance the day the U.S. froze Russia's central bank assets. That, that to 100%. me, was a period in time where 
every other central bank in the world was said, right, if you don't now start work on a plan to give yourself at least a parachute out of the US dollar system, you're a fool. Because today, Russia's the bad guy and their assets are frozen. Tomorrow, if you get asked to join a coalition of the willing and you turn it down, yep. maybe it's yep, you yep, yep, that's, that's yep, the bad guy. Yep, yep. So, so I'm curious as to your thoughts on how this narrative unfolds from here. Because at the margin, you're right, it doesn't mean much. But as people look to find a way to extricate themselves just from reliance upon the dollar, every single of one of these little deals in dirhams and ringgit and yuan to ruble direct and Saudi rials to rubles and yuan directly yep, yep, chips, yep. chips away at America's ability to run the massive deficits they require in order to fund themselves. And that's the bit of this that I'm curious about because it's a slow process, but out there somewhere, I've got to think there's a tipping point where that marginal dollar that's no longer required to be held in a reserve or used for trade suddenly changes the balance here of America's ability to print and spend the way it has done for 50, 60 years. So what we are absolutely seeing is a move towards a multipolar world. Right, right, Probably right. a bipolar world, frankly. Yeah. It feels more and more <laughs> in like every way, In every way imaginable. Yeah. Right, right. Look, stipulated, it makes a difference, frankly, whether it's multipolar or bipolar. It makes a huge difference in yeah. terms of global stability and all like that. Again, it's trying to put notions of the dollar and de-dollarization within the context of multipolarity. You can absolutely have these movements kind of pushing away a bit from the United States, and your currency is one aspect of that. In so many respects, though, it's you have so little degrees of freedom there as a country, whether you're Saudi or you're Brazil yeah. or whoever. It goes back to, I know you remember, you know, the famous quote from Big John, Big John Connolly, who was Nixon's Treasury Secretary when Nixon you know, took the U.S. off the gold standard because of the euro dollar problem that we were having. The French, right? the evil French. The evil French, right? And, and of course, John Connolly's famous saying was, you know, about the dollar was, it's our currency and it's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. that's that is it. So so you're right. This notion of a tipping point is correct. <laughs> also, the notion of a very stable, stable equilibrium is correct. And if you wanted to tell me that in post, you know, post some great military conflict with the other axis, right, yep. with the other pole, that we move towards the, you know, the renminbi the as, as being more yeah you know, maybe it's you know as much of a reserve currency as the euro right that would be a huge huge thing right for the system as it is there is i, I really believe tina there is no alternative to a dollar backed system does that mean you could have a different system you could where the dollar is not that dominant reserve currency god help us though on the path to get from here to there Mm -hmm. Because that is not a smooth path. That's not just a tipping point. That's not just, oh, it's a thousand little cuts of little deals here and little deals there that tips it over into something else. That that there's, you know, as the, the, the old Polish uh, economist, I forget his name, you know, you can't jump a chasm in a series of small steps. Yeah, yeah. Right? It is a state change. It's like moving from water to ice. For you to say for, to say that, oh, the dollar loses its reserve currency status. It absolutely doesn't mean, though, that we can't move to a multipolar world, right? Both those things happen separately. Multipolar or polarity is, a, is the big power question of which money is a part. My point, though, is that the money part of this is, is actually phenomenally stable, phenomenally stable because of the embeddedness of the dollar in trade. You want to get rid of trade? You want to, you want to have a global recession or depression that where we go back to basically bartering and using local currencies? Okay, that you know, if that's what happens, that could absolutely change the state. I don't want that to happen. No. Right? But I tell you who does want that to happen? China, Russia, and you know, the teal industrial complex. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, and, and this is the thing that I find so fascinating about this whole 
discussion around this particular thing is that there doesn't seem to be an ability on really anybody's part to understand this shade of gray that you've just described. You know, it, because there's the issue <laughs> of the reserve currency, but that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. You know, people no. say, oh, the, the renminbi, there's no way it can be the reserve currency. I totally agree. But that doesn't mean that what you've just described doesn't happen. And, and, and what you said there, I, I think, is probably the key to all of this that a lot of people are missing, is that if this does continue to play out, it creates enormous problems of a kind which we don't really understand what they're going to be and how they're going to happen and how they unfurl. But and we I, haven't experienced this World War II. <laughs> no, exactly right. And, and, so, and that's the bit I, that I, I worry about on the part of everyone who just says, don't be ridiculous. The dollar is not going to give up its reserve status because both things can be true. The dollar cannot give up its reserve status just yet, and we can have complete chaos as these multipolar forces try their best to, to not even ups, unseat the dollar, but just have a part of this system carved out for them where we can go over here and we can do our little thing quietly and peacefully amongst ourselves without the dollar. Because if they do that, it doesn't lose the reserve state of the dollar, but it cuts demand for the dollar and it creates who knows what. I, I really don't know what it creates. But that's it's right. Not going to it be cre good. But it, it creates something different because the, yeah. the and that's the goal of this goes back to Thucydides, right? The the you know twenty five hundred years ago, the strong yeah. do what they will, the weak suffer what they must. Yeah. And so the weak nations are trying to suffer less, but ultimately they can't you know break out of whatever orbit they're in. Uh, the strong nations, the Russias, certainly the Chinas, Iran maybe, Saudi maybe, right? They're trying to achieve what they can. Yeah. And and they want more independence, period, right? Because the status quo is not very acceptable to them. So so what I what I mean by destabilizing is you know what diminishes significant, you know, in a material sense, the dollar as a reserve currency? A civil war, right? Yeah. That's what does yeah. it. Yep. That's what does Amen. it. Right. So so, of course, everyone who thinks that they would profit and I don't mean profit in the money sense, I mean, profit in the power sense from domestic conflict in the United States. And who profits from that? China does. Uh -huh. Russia does. Iran does. I actually think Saudi does in a way, because I don't think they really, you know, our, that relation, you know, what are all those reasons? The billionaire accelerationists love it. The, the, the poles of our political spectrum love it, right? On both the right and the left. Absolutely. They love it. They profit from that domestic destabilization of the United States. And so that's what we're going to get. Right. Let, let's stick with that, because I was going to take this in a different direction and come back to this, but this is the perfect time to actually bring this into the conversation. And that's um, mm -hmm. the recent arraignment of... Uh, the former, the former president, Mr. Trump. Perfect you know, example. Perfect, perfect example, example, right? You know, and and there's there's been a significant amount of digital ink spilled on this, obviously. And as could be predicted, everyone already has, you know, when when the arraignment was made, the articles had already been written, and mm -hmm. the positions had already been taken. And again, there's very little. It's either discourse in the, the, middle. the end of the rule of law. I think that yep. was, you know, Cruz's comment. Or yep. no one is above the law. You know, that's all. Right. That, you know, like, yeah, right, right. For, a, for for misdemeanor or falsification charges that are blown up to be classy felonies because they were <laughs> right. committed to destabilize an election. C correct. <laughs> and so there's two overarching kind of analyses of this that I've seen constantly bombarding every feed I have. And that is one, the biggest shooting in one's own foot in political history by mm. the Democrats, because they're just mm. going to galvanize Trump's base, make him a martyr. And the other is the fact that this was done deliberately because by galvanizing Trump's base, we know that we're going to run against Trump again, and we're pretty sure we can beat him. Right? That's, that's, that's those it. Two. It's, it's, the, yeah. it's the latter, Grant. It's a, it's a, it's a hundred percent the latter. It's 100 percent the latter. So, so what came what came out of the midterm elections, which were a repudiation of Trump-backed candidates and a much better performance by Democrats than feared or expected. There was no red wave. Yep. And to what degree red candidates won, it was they were 
clearly the DeSantis core, not the Trump core. Yeah. Right? Not at all. The lesson from that, and and I and I, you know, you can see the polling, you can see all of this, is that if, you know, God help us, we're gonna get, you know, Biden running in a year and a half. Not even that now, right? They want to run against Trump. They think they can beat Trump. And they are pretty darn sure they can't beat DeSantis. Yeah. So this is what I mean about both both polls, right, of our political spectrum. They want the chaos. They want the destabilization. Bring it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And yeah, you've talked about it. We've written a lot about it. This is the widening gyre, right? Where the center cannot hold because the political entrepreneurs of today, left and the right, they are as one in wanting the chaos. Yeah. So that's what we're going to get. So so as you know, as this has played out, you know, it was interesting to me that one of the first moves, and I don't know if this was predicted or predictable, certainly by the Democrats, was to see DeSantis coming out and supporting Trump. Now, they, they what they did by doing what they did with Trump was they essentially forced every Republican into his corner, right? I mean, it was fascinating to yeah. watch McCarthy and DeSantis and all these guys come yeah. out straight away and stand behind Trump. And, and, you know, that was very, very noticeable. And if that's part of the Dems game, then well played them. But I, as I watched it all, I could very clearly see a way for these guys to then step back from that and particularly in DeSantis' case to to mm-hmm. reclaim his own path to the presidency. Oh, the, 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 absolutely. And and look and if I were a betting man I I think that's still how I'd bet. Right. Uh, because because I I think it's kind of clear and again the midterms were kind of like a clear bit of this is that Trump ain't winning, right? He's you know, he he can't get a popular majority. And uh, I mean, that's we, we've had now two national elections where he can't get a popular majority. Uh, and the path to getting an electoral majority, it ain't there for him anymore. It right. just, it's just not. It's not there. That path does not exist. Uh, and I think that that's as clear to the Republicans as it is to the Democrats. Now, but these are all strategic actors, right? So what you would notice is that Leading up to the, both leading up to and then, you know, subsequently to the indictment, most of Trump's rage or ire was directed at DeSantis, not against the, the, yeah, everybody is running against DeSantis right now. Yeah. Right. The Dems are running against DeSantis. The Trump campaign is running against DeSantis. I, I, I still give him better odds to, to prevail in the, in the primary than not, frankly, DeSantis. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but that's, but that's the domestic political uh, dynamic for sure. For sure. It's funny. It seems to me that this, um, this move by the Dems could actually be the catalyst for Trump finally flaming out because it, it's going to become all about things that don't really matter. You know, it's going to become about what the Trump Democrats did to Trump rather than what the Democrats have done to America. And like you, I mean, I, I was, I was, I mean, you and I were together on election night in 2016. Yeah, I remember this we in sure San Antonio. Were. We sure and, were. And, you know, I was very confident then in, in predicting Trump would win. And I was as confident now in predicting that even if he ran, I just don't think he stands a chance of coming back and winning another term, rightly or wrongly. And that's, that's no judgment on him. That's my judgment on what I see. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel as though this move by the Dems to try and force this to be us against Trump again because we know we can win, I just feel there's far more chance of this backfiring on them than working out. I, I think the status quo, right, the, the clear path, particularly since the midterms, was, oh, it's going to be DeSantis, right, and then yeah. Trump was in decline. So I think what you're going to continue to see, both from the Trump campaign and from the White House, is trying to elevate to pump up to to keep that Trump campaign alive, right? Right, because what they don't believe, and I don't know that I believe it either, is that Trump at the convention will be this magnanimous guy who right. says, "No, <laughs> I'm falling in line behind you, Ron." Yeah, right. I, I is that really what we think is going to happen? I don't think so. 
No. <laughs> right. No. So the goal here, I think this is the, the plan B for the Democrats is, all right, maybe this it'll help him in the primary, but it's probably not enough to get him over the top. DeSantis is still going to be the candidate. If the Trump voters stay home, we've got a shot against DeSantis too. Yeah. Right? So it's, it, 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 it's, a, it's a dominant strategy by the Democrats, right? It's a hypocritical one because at the same time, their message to their base is, oh my God, you know, it might be Donald Trump as president again. Give us money. Yeah. Right. right? So, so it's, they want to run against Trump even if Trump is not the candidate. Yes, <laughs> right? yes. No, I, I, I totally so, understand. I totally so, understand. And, I mean, that's just a dominant strategy. That's, I, I think that's where they see as, 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 as their path. Um, but, you know, you raise the point about, well, but, you know, do we actually, because they don't want to run on the economy. No, for sure. <laughs> right? For right? sure they do. And the DeSantis campaign, you know, does. So, they, you know, DeSantis has got to fight this rear guard action against Trump. I think he will win. The, the the nomination, but then even he wins the nomination, then he's got to get those supporters, the ever Trump, not the never Trump, but the ever Trump supporters yeah. to show up in, you know, states like Pennsylvania, uh, because he's got to, he's got to have that happen. He's got to have that happen to, and I think he probably will, but, but that's, those are the dynamics. I think that'll be easier. Yeah. I think that'll be easier for him. But is there any way you think that, that Biden doesn't run on the Democrat ticket? No, I don't think there's any way at all. You don't think so? It doesn't. There's no surprises Um, on that side of the aisle coming that way. I mean, you know, I I can't think of one. It'd have to be a health health thing, right? But, but, you know, I I think you and I have both had this experience with um, people, and they're almost always men, right, who achieve that preeminent level. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly you see it in, in our world of investing and, Yes, you, know, you do. The old billionaires, they honestly think they're going to live forever. They think they're going to live forever. And it's just, it's just, it's just that um, pure raw ego. <laughs> right? yeah, so I saw the new John Wick movie. I loved, you know, it was it was great, enjoyed it. You know, in every movie, you know, John Wick is described by one of the, you know, the Russian mobsters or whoever, one of the villains is he's a man of sheer fucking will. Right. That's right. the description of John Wick. Right. And the truth is, in, in our world of finance and politics, the people who achieve these persons, they are men of sheer fucking ego. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they are. Yep. But barring something like that, then then I yeah, yeah. I don't know what the plan B for Democrats would be. I, I mean, I yeah. gotta think it's gotta be somebody like Gavin Newsom and not and not Harris, but Man, yeah. Know. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not that's sure. A, that's a whole other. We'll, 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 yeah. we'll, get, we'll get back on the podcast again. When the, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we will. That, well, that well, listen, let, let, let me bring another, another subject in because again, it, when we talk about narratives and, and we talk about things that are omnipresent, ubiquitous, and just impossible to ignore. And if you're paying attention, you start wondering why that is, mm-hmm. uh, AI, large language models, neural networks, chat GPT. I mean, this is something particularly in the case of ChatGPT, that has just exploded in consciousness. And yep. you know, I've been I've been fascinated for my own my own kind of cycle of ChatGPT went from amazement to complete disconnection with it in such an accelerated time frame. You know, someone sent me something the other day and they said, Oh, look, I want you to read this because I've I've asked mm-hmm. ChatGPT to write something about the banks and what was going on mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley Bank. And we'll come on to that in a second, uh, in the style of Hunter S. Thompson, which is fascinating, mm-hmm. right? Yeah and, yeah, yeah. and here it is. And I and I picked this thing up and I I read through the first paragraph and all its clever Hunter S. Thompson this. Mm-hmm. And then I completely disconnected with it because I realized there was nothing, there was no soul behind it. There was no, there was no there there. It was just a construct of something that had been programmed to do this. And I found that my connection to this stuff is completely gone. And I find myself bombarded with ChatGPT more and more and more. Yep. And I just find that I just can't, I'm not impressed by it anymore. I, I am at one level, but on a personal level, I'm like, oh, it's another ChatGPT thing. Mm-hmm. Click. I'm moving on to find an Epsilon Theory piece where I can mm-hmm. connect with you or Rusty in a real human way. Talk a little bit about this stuff through your lens and, and the rise of ChatGPT and its ilk. And, and what that means and what that perhaps tells you. So I'll, I'll tell you, Grant, um, I had the, the 
opposite trajectory where at first it was, uh, okay, that's going to be cute. And, um, but for actually then using it within our own business, I'm convinced now this is an industrial oh, yeah. revolution level. No, that, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I'm saying engine. from a, from a creative standpoint and, Oh, look what GPT can do. Uh, no, no, no. From, that, from that, a, that, as people, a user, it's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and so my response, you know, when, when, when I, and I get to see the same sort of things and my response is, you know, you're doing it wrong. Yes, <laughs> right? exactly you're do, right. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. So what, what the, the immense power for good, and we'll talk about the power for not good. And I've got a big note on this coming. I want to publish it on Easter, uh, Easter Sunday, because okay. it's called uh, an AI in the city of God, right? The Augustinian, you know, city of God and the city of man. But um, the the chat uh, transformers are a, I think, miraculous human assistant because it's been trained on our human language and writings. So it is it is an artificial human intelligence and you have to treat it that way. Mm-hmm. What it's where where it changes everything is for a creator, a um, let's call it a a senior person, right? A decision maker to use that to eliminate the tasks on which they spend a lot of their effort that a a human assistant could perform because this the, the GPT-4 in particular performs those roles a hundred times better, faster yep. than than the, the 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 human person you'd be tasking with that. And um, it's particularly suited for you know like in in our in our business. I, I mean we've we are getting some of our core work processes you know a hundred x operational efficiency improvements right right, right. By, by implementing this i mean things that would we'd have to hire a couple of people or it would take rusty and me working ourselves you know a couple of months Done. like that and it's 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 transformative and it's revolutionary it's revolutionary because it's not just search it's also discovery right i i think of it as like your own librarian yeah uh for the creative work you want to do the ability to have a car this is my librarian go into the into the stacks and not just this one particular book or thing i'm interested in but find the things that are around it right that that you know as i described to you kind of what the the kind of the gist of what i'm looking for show me things that i've never seen before that are going to be impactful for me in my creating whether that's creating a legal brief whether that's creating a new note whether that's creating anything, this is it's um, it's overwhelming to me the, the the power for this. There are so many. I think there are not millions of people, but I think there are thousands of people for whom this is not a two x improvement in operational efficiency. I think I think that's going to be the norm, right? So companies, individuals will use it for you know a significant productivity boost, maybe even up to to two x on a lot of these tasks. Um, and, and a lot of things go away as a result, like, you know, search engine optimization, those bit, yep. that, that all goes away. Right. Um, you know, we can come up with a, a dozen of those kind of examples, just things that require humans to do things that now just go away. But there are, um, opportunities here for 100 X changes in our systems from business models to creativity. I, I think it's going to lead to an enormous flowering of human to your point, art it doesn't right. come from the transformer. It comes from humans exactly. yeah. for whom this allows us to make incredibly better art. Um, so I'm, I'm just so optimistic and excited about that. And at the same time, so utterly um, resigned, I think is the right word, for these tools to be used, not just for all the astroturfing, right, that we were talking about before, but frankly, to, to, to rewrite history. Because what, what these large language models do is they provide what sounds right. Exactly. Yep. Right. You have to channel it. You have to say, no, no, no. For doing this research on, you know, I want to write a note about, you know, molecular biology. So I want you to limit your search to these, you know, the all the past articles in, you know, science, you know, journal, journal, the journal science and its, you know, 
ecosystem. I want you to just look there because I don't want you pulling things that sound right that are truthy to use Colbert's world word. Yes. Right. Because that's what that's how the that's how we humans work. If you had a human assistant and said, hey, just go out and find me something on, you know, mRNA vaccines. I'm, I want to write a paper about it. They'd come, the human assistant would come back to you and a lot of stuff wouldn't be true at all. Right. They'd, it's the same way with this. Yeah. It's the same way. It's the same way with the chat GPT. They provide what sounds right. And for a lot of work and a lot of research, that's that's good. That's all we need. For other work, you know, you want it. No, no, no. I want truth with a capital T. History and the way history sits with us is about its truthiness, not its truth with a capital T. So I, and this is going to be part of the big note is that the real power here is of, you know, again, destabilizing common knowledge foundations through astroturfing and social media and with messages that are designed and optimized to sound truthy. Yeah. Give, give, I'll give you an example. So this guy, Balaji, when he's writing about, oh, hundreds of banks are insolvent, you know, the, the U.S. system is going to collapse by Bitcoin, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the message. Well, in all of his, you know, tweets and stuff, he'll, he'll have 15 citations, right? That we humans, they look at and say, oh, well, he's got citations. That must be right. Oh, my goodness. He's, there's data here. Yeah. There's data. Now, I mean, if you go into it, A, the data is like the equivalent of, you know, it's a lot of it is bullshit, right? And and the the, the other thing is that, well, <laughs> some things are cited, and but the but the real claims like hundreds of banks are insolvent or it's going to die by Bitcoin, right? Those are just statements of affect. That's the sophistry of all this. But it works. We're hardwired to respond to this. Yeah, stuff. that's the shame. Yeah. We're hardwired and Putting chat GPT in the hands of those who want to destabilize, who want to create an alternative history of what is truthy, not what is truth, that's absolutely where we're going, Grant. And it's going to be just this battle between free-thinking, autonomous humans from the bottom up using chat GPT to create art and shields, defenses against what is coming down from the top which is just going to be just a wholesale rewriting of history. It's, it, and, and as Orwell said, right, that's the, that's the power of Big Brother. It's the power to rewrite history. Yeah, yeah. But what does this mean for narrative and the way narrative is used? Because as you say, there's, there will be two sides using the same tools to try and create alternate narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder if you if you end up in some sort of narrative singularity where if you're using the same tool to try and create opposing arguments, does the whole thing eat itself? I'm just I'm just curious, or or is it just a function of it, it's just getting better at funneling the narratives on both sides exactly where they need to go? It's it's the latter. It, it yeah. just increases the polarization and it increases the destabilization. It creates there are many games. It's the rare game. In the technical sense of the world, that word that has a single equilibrium, right? What we're what we're moving towards are just two separate worlds, each with its own stable equilibrium, right? That multipolarity. Yeah. And it, it's again, it's it's yeah, you know, like in '84, it's Eurasia, East Asia, and Oceania, right? Mm-hmm. And they are three separate spheres. The difference is this isn't happening as much, right? To look at in, I'll call it meat world, but it happens in narrative world, right? That's that's where the the audiences are, and they interact with each other only for rage engagements, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. That that's right. what they're there for, right? And that's why the tech platforms love it because a rage engagement is just as good as an affinity engagement. Better, in fact. Better, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, it's terrifying. Well, listen, um. Before we finish, I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about your upcoming event. And I, and well, I don't it's a good segue, Grant, because, because it, it is a good segue. Epsilon Connect and your participation in this specifically is for us to connect in person and talk about, well, this is going to be your role there. How do we talk with each other? Yeah. How, how, how do we talk across the event horizon of super wokeism or MAGAism or Bitcoinism or D dollar, 
all this stuff, how, how do we talk with each other again? And I, and I mean that really specific. So, so the conference is called Epsilon Connect, and we're going to have it uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, first week in June. It's co-sponsored with Vanderbilt University there. So we're having it there on the Vanderbilt campus because uh, a, you know, a member of uh, a subscriber, uh, an Epsilon Theory subscriber and his family made a really generous donation to Vanderbilt to set up a, a research center for narrative studies. Because this is there's real hard science here behind this, yeah, and yeah. we're seeing it now with the chat GPT. But so we want to convene and talk about the hard science and the role of GPT and the like in narrative research. But we also want to connect and share with each other so that we can become, yes, better investors, yes, better citizens, but most importantly, better friends and neighbors and human beings. So we're going to turn the tables a little bit, Grant. I, I mean, you're not going to be there to interview people. Rusty's going to have, we're going to have sessions with you where we're going to interview you and you are amazing. You can talk with anyone, Grant. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. And, 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 and we want to talk about that. How do you do what you do, Grant? Because these are the skills and these are the philosophies of being that you embody and put into practice that we all want to take out. So yes, that's our conference. Yes, Grant Williams is going to be there for the whole thing. And yeah, we're going to turn the tables on Grant because he's not just a great interviewer, right? But we want to find out how you do it, Grant. So uh, so that that's going to be on the a, a well, prime part of the menu there at Epsilon Connect. Well, look, this has gone horribly wrong for me. I didn't plan at any point in this to start talking about myself. So you've you've turned the tables on me already. Um, I was hoping I was hoping we would uh, we would talk about about how people would uh, can can sign up for it, how people can get involved. I cannot wait to sit there and, and chat with you, Rusty. And, I, and I've thought about this session and, and the questions you want to talk about so much since you asked me because it was such a a unique question to have asked to me. And so I've given it a lot of thought. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna preempt what I'm going to say, nice. but I've already, I've already, I've already thought a great deal about what I'm going to say. And I think in fairness, it's such an important subject to have. And I'm, and I'm genuinely thrilled and flattered that you would actually invite me to be a part of this and, and, and have me be a part of that particular piece of this puzzle, because I think, um, I think it's so important. And, and I think, uh, we've gotten so far away from this, Ben, and, and I think all the work that you and Rusty do to try and connect people um, through the amazing community, you know, your Wolfpack and Epsilon Theory is so important. So you and I aside, just just let people know how they can be a part of this thing because I, I think the more people that, that that take part in this however they can, I think the better chance we've got of, of surviving the GPTs of the world and surviving the narrative challenges. EpsilonConnect.org. Uh, we're, we've set up a, a not-for-profit to handle all of this and all of the proceeds after cost will go to hard science research programs around narrative. So epsilonconnect.org and uh, check it out. Uh, it's not just Grant. We've got a lot of amazing... Jeez, you better hope it's not just I, me. That's uh, not going to put no, enough no, bums no, on the no, seats no, no, for you to have anything yeah, left over, I, I promise you. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you, you, you give us a, a really good start, Grant. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful group. The, the, the goal here is not to sit back and spectate. The goal here is to lean forward and really participate. So it's a very different conference set up than I think anything most of us are familiar with. Uh, it, 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 you know, there's a real hard cap on attendance. So please, if you're interested, come sign up to one of our two sessions. Um, it's, it's going to be very special. And I'm confident it will live up to its name of Connect. Uh, on a very personal level, and I think that's what the world needs. Well, look, I can't, I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to fly halfway around the world to be a part of this because I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm genuinely thrilled to be a part of it, Ben. So, so thanks to you, thanks to Rusty, and you know, for anybody listening to this, epsilonconnect.com aside, how else can they follow the amazing work that you and Rusty do at, at Epsilon Theory? We're all Epsilon Theory all the time. So, uh, epsilontheory.com. Uh, I'm at at Epsilon Theory on Twitter. I'm doing a lot less Twitter now. I'm just going to... I've noticed. You know, I've noticed. It's... Uh, it's uh, you, you and most of the advertisers, it seems. <laughs> yes, it seems. It seems. But uh, but yes, uh, Epsilon Theory, that's that's where you can find us. And uh, 
epsilonconnect.org for our conference this June. All right, my friend. Well, listen, uh, I say this has been long overdue. We won't leave it so long next time. Um, but in the meantime, I will see you in a few short weeks in uh, in Nashville. My first trip to Nashville. I'm, I'm excited to see you. I've never been before. It's a great place. So great place. I look forward to that. And my thanks to you for, for taking this hour to sit and chat with me on a, on a, on a bright Sunday, uh, Thursday morning. Thursday morning. Thank you, Grant. Always a pleasure. All right, Ben. I'll see you soon. Well, I have to say, uh, it's been far too long since I've had the chance to talk to Ben and record a narrative game episode. Just so fascinating as always. And, uh, you know, the times we live in, I think it's so important to understand a lot of the things that Ben and Rusty talk about and, and understand what we're being bombarded with and why. So I hope you found that as helpful and as thought-provoking as I did. Again, just to reiterate, epsilontheory.com is where you'll find Ben and Rusty's stellar work. And I really would urge you to check that out because no one does what they do and uh, and it really is uh, just a, a phenomenal resource. And Epsilon Connect, you know, I'm I'm going to be there. It's it's two sessions over, I think, six days. I'm going to be there for the whole thing. I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of it and uh, and get the chance to sit and talk with Ben and Rusty in front of an audience of, of like-minded people who, who really want to understand how the world works and hopefully how to be a better part of it, not just individually, but as a group. So um, if you're able uh, and willing to come along and be a part of that, I would urge you to, to go to Epsilon Connect, find out more about it, and uh, and come and join us in, in Vanderbilt in Nashville in a few weeks' time. My thanks as always to Ben, uh, but most of all, my thanks to you for listening. Um, it's been another wonderful conversation. I'll be back again shortly with another episode. But in the meantime, I wish you all the very best. Thanks so much. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.